Hello, and welcome to Dorian's Mode. My name is Dorian Wallace, a composer, pianist, music therapist, and podcaster uh, who likes to talk about various topics and uh, to various people. Um, I wanted to read something about my new job uh, for a piece that I wrote for my newsletter, uh, just so there can be a recorded audio version of the essay. Uh, in case people want to take a listen to it if they uh, struggle with reading. Um, Before I begin, I want to give a bit of a content warning that there is discussion of crimes, violent crimes, such as murder, sexual assault, and sex trafficking, um, and and physical assault. Uh, So if those are things that you need to stop listening to, uh, please do so. Um, But let me begin, and I'm going to read this essay to you. Here we go. Rikers Island. Disclaimer. Everything I write will be a vague summary of information anyone can find through public media. There are no names or specifics given as these individuals are awaiting trial. I've begun my tour as Risk Management and Accountability Systems Arts Program Coordinator at Rikers Island Correction Facility. In this work, I am designing music therapy-centered programs to assist incarcerated people in coping with their current situation. In my first week, I've already encountered several difficult people, including one who brandished a shank at me. It was my first day and they were putting on a show. (laughs) Lol as well as some military veterans charged with horrible crimes, such as murder, sex trafficking, and assault. The truth is that these people are human beings who would be in a different place under different circumstances. It was very challenging for me to cope with the veteran population specifically because I recognize that these gentlemen are comrades I would have gladly served alongside in another context. As many of these guys face second-degree murder charges, it became evident that they are not monsters, but human beings who made a mistake, or a series of mistakes, that led to this deplorable deed. I am coming to grips with the fact that each of these men is a very ordinary, even incredibly likable, good dude. Simultaneously, I read their charges and must fathom what they have done. It is one thing to envision an imaginary murderer and intellectually recognize that a human is still a person. It's another thing entirely to sit at a piano with an actual murderer and know that they not only literally destroyed someone's life, but also caused a ripple effect that has devastated this individual's loved ones, inevitably causing trauma and suffering for generations." One of the victim's adult children discovered their murdered parent a few hours after the crime. This will have long-term consequences for this child, and there is no way to undo this injustice. According to Legal Information Institute, second-degree murder is a type of murder that has a punishment which is less severe than that for first-degree murder. Exact 
distinctions between first-degree and second-degree murder vary by state. One critical difference is that capital punishment is typically not available for a second-degree murder conviction. Typically, the second-degree murder is defined as murder that is not premeditated or murder that is caused by the offender's reckless conduct that displays an obvious lack of concern for human life. New York Penal Code 125.25, Murder in the Second Degree If you have intentionally or recklessly caused the death of another person, you could face a homicide charge. There are several different offenses in the New York Criminal Code related to taking the life of another person, including homicide, manslaughter, and murder. Of all of the crimes related to homicide, the most serious are murder in the first degree, murder in the second degree, and aggravated murder. Each is a class A1 felony, meaning that if you are convicted, you could be sentenced to life in prison. Under New York Penal Law 125.25, you could be prosecuted for murder in the second degree if you 1. Intentionally cause the death of another person. 2. Recklessly cause the death of another person under the conditions that showed that you had a depraved indifference for human life. 3. Cause the death of another person during the commission of another crime, such as robbery, burglary, arson, or sexual assault. Or 4. Cause the death of another person under the age of 11 during the commission of a sex crime, such as rape, in the first degree, criminal sexual act in the first degree, or incest in the first degree. With all this said, the reason I'm putting these insights out there is that while details are still vague, I want you, readers, to have an understanding of how emotionally demanding this work is, even for someone like myself who is particularly suited to this sort of stress. I cannot undo the harm to innocent people by the individual in question. What I can do is support them in navigating their inner turmoil and develop teaching strategies that may have a beneficial impact on their community on the outside, educate their peers that actions have consequences, and advocate for prison reform and abolition. Our current justice system is not working. In truth, it helps to preserve criminals as criminals while perpetuating a cycle of abusive behavior, which we, as a society, could break. Instead, we should allocate resources to education, healthcare, infrastructure, and a living wage or universal basic income rather than the war machine, high finance bailouts, and rigid police enforcement. The War on Drugs is a global campaign of drug prohibition, military aid, and military intervention led by the United States federal government to eradicate the illegal drug trade in the United States. The initiative includes a set of drug regulations designed to discourage the production, distribution, and consumption of psychoactive drugs that have been deemed illegal by participating governments in the United States. The mainstream press popularized the term after President Richard Nixon gave a press conference on June 18, 1971, after publication a message to 
Congress on Drug Abuse Prevention and Control. He declared drug abuse to be public enemy number one. Nixon had announced a war on drugs two years before with the goal of eradication, prohibition, and incarceration. Ronald Reagan's presidency prioritized reducing drug abuse and the prosecution of violators. During his first term as president, Reagan signed the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984, which increased penalties for possession of cannabis, instituted a federal system of mandatory minimum sentences, and established methods for civil asset forfeiture. Between 1980 and 1984, the annual government budget for the FBI's drug enforcement operations climbed from $8 million to $95 million. Reagan was as assertive advocating... Sorry. <clears throat> Reagan was an assertive advocate of laws that criminalize people who use drugs. He led Congress to laws that specifically criminalize African-American drug users, focusing attention and stiffening sentencing laws of the crystalline form of cocaine, which is known as crack, rather than the crystallized methamphetamine. Officials in the White House admitted that meth was just as common as crack, but predominantly used by low-income white Americans. Talk about saying the quiet part out loud. Despite Reagan being a Republican, his crime legislation won bipartisan support, and Democrats backed his proposal. Vice President George H.W. Bush began lobbying for the CIA and the U.S. military to become involved in drug policing activities in 1982. Due to this involvement, almost 50,000 civilians are killed in Mexico's drug war every year. President H.W. Bush established the Office of National Drug Control Policy in 1989, and President Bill Clinton elevated it to cabinet-level authority in 1993. The Drug Policy Alliance, which lobbies for an end to the war on drugs, reported in 2015 that the United States spends $51 billion per year on these programs. By 2021, after 50 years of the drug war, others believe that the U.S. spent a total of $1 trillion on this completely unnecessary war. This war has criminalized substance abuse and psychosocial coping and fostered an entire underground industry, resulting in innumerable casualties and war crimes. Researchers and activists use the term prison-industrial complex to describe the relationship between a state and the multiple sectors that profit from institutions of incarceration, such as jails, prisons, detention facilities, and psychiatric hospitals. In the last quarter of the 20th century, the incarceration rate in the United States increased by a factor of five. Crime rates have been decreasing, while the incarcerated population has been increasing. In the last quarter of the 20th century, the incarceration rate in the United States increased by a factor of five. Apparently that repeats, whatever. As of 2021, the United States has the world's highest prison population, both total and per capita. The supposed land of the free houses more than one-quarter of the world's prison population. 
I have linked a few resources that I found particularly valuable in preparing for this work, and I'm still developing more. I intend to start a cipher, which is a crew of MCs who freestyle or perform free verse, a mindfulness in prison program, a spiritual and political reading group, and a regular percussion jam session. This work is significant to me, and I hope to continue sharing this journey with all of you. Wish me luck. And then I linked um, to four different books to check out. One is Forensic Music Therapy, a treatment for men and women in secure hospital settings. The other um, is The New Jim Crow, which is mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness. The third link is The Color of Law, a forgotten history of how our government segregated America. And then finally, Discipline and Punish the Birth of the Prison by Michel Foucault. Um, yeah, so just to freestyle a little bit on this, uh, first off, um, the work is really tough. It really is. Uh, I, um, have been coming to terms with a lot of my, uh, ideological self with tangible, practical self, um, meaning that even though I still uh, am going to continue to fight against systemic issues, it is difficult to sit with a person and know what they have done and um, process through that. Um, And keep in mind, this is not during the session. During the session, I am uh, incredibly empathetic and still very person-centered in my therapeutic approach. Um, However, I've had some internal work that I've had to work through uh, just at the very beginning of this job, and it was uh, particularly noticeable because, um, you know, I went around to a couple of different places. I went to a couple of places in general population, and, you know, hung out with a whole bunch of, uh, whole bunch of gangsters and they, it was cool. Like I had, I had actually like a lot, a lot of fun with them, but I specifically had a, had a pretty intense response to the veterans dorm, um, which is all people, uh, incarcerated people who had served in the military. And for whatever reason it was, um, I think because I am a veteran, but, uh, it was just hitting in a much, deeper way than the other places that I've started working. Um, mostly because I, you know, without knowing any of them, I felt like I knew all of them. Um, and you know, this is a, something we learn about in therapy training, which is, uh, transference and counter transference. Um, transference is basically when a client projects onto the therapist, um, what they are experiencing, they project it, uh, you know, like if they had a romance or somebody they hated and they project that feeling onto the therapist, that is transference. And that's actually healthy. And it's actually, um, I don't want to say encouraged, but it's something that's expected to happen. But it can happen in the reverse, which is something that needs to be watched out um, 
and and taken very seriously when noticing it, um, which is when the therapist begins to project onto the client. And um, it's just something that I came to realize that the veteran population, I was really feeling a lot more than I expected and had to take um, after after the second session I did with them, I had to take two hours um, to meditate and reflect and decompress with my, my coworkers, um, my comrades in, uh, in the arts therapy department. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's really important work. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling really drawn to it and uh, you know, um, the biggest thing is that uh, we have to not analyze the individual crimes that these individuals have uh, either committed or are accused of committing, but get into a much larger question on why are the conditions set up in which these crimes felt like something that needed to be taken, needed to be done. Um, and, you know, if you ever read Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher, he really breaks it down that the three major areas that capitalism, uh, really leaks through with, um, with the problems that, that it's causing, um, is, uh, is the environment, mental health and bureaucracy. And, you know, um, the conditions a lot of these uh, these gentlemen um, were born into, thrown into, uh, really didn't give uh, didn't give them a chance to um, to do anything else. And so, um, to close this out, I actually want to um, play a song by Tupac, which is a song that I'm using with, uh, with a lot of the guys, um, just to help, help kind of comprehend what, uh, what they're going through. And this is, uh, Me Against the World, the album, uh, but the song is called So Many Tears. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, just listen to it, you know, elsewhere. Um, but if you're listening to this on the podcast format, I'll, I'll have this song, um, and post the link to the lyrics in the show notes. So anyways, thank you all so much. Uh, this is Dorian's mode and, um, I'll catch you later. Thank you. Peace. Inside my mind, couldn't find a place to rest Until I got that dug like tatted on my chest Tell me, can you feel me? I'm not living in the past, you wanna last Be the first to blast, remember Cato No longer with the seat the seats Call on the sirens, seen them murdered in the streets Now rest in peace, is there heaven for a G? Remember me, so many homies in the cemetery Shed so many tears 
Twitch.tv slash Dorian Wallace. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, 
on YouTube, please like and subscribe. For more information regarding my compositional or therapeutic work, please visit my websites at www.dorianwallace.com and www.madarimusic.com. Let's all keep growing the human-to-human experience. My name is Dorian Wallace. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Peace.